0: What makes city politics in Baltimore so compelling?
1: Um, are we doing the interview now? Or yeah, or, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> um. Always be recording. <laughs> Luke Broadwater is a reporter for the Baltimore Sun. He grew up in Baltimore. He's the kind of guy with a lot of sources.
1: And I don't want to trash Baltimore because I love Baltimore. It's my favorite city in the entire world, but. I mean, you look at every single problem in American history, from like redlining to forced segregation to the laissez-faire economic policy that caused all the uh, industrial jobs to leave, which was replaced by the violent drug trade, failed war on drugs. I mean, it's like, it's all, it's all, that's the story of Baltimore. So if you're looking for like a microcosm of how American policy has failed in just about every part of the gamut, that's Baltimore.
0: Luke says the people who run this town, they're pretty compelling, too. Can you tell me about this press conference last week? I think you counted the seconds. You said it was 96 seconds long.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: This press conference, it was for the mayor, Catherine Pugh. Luke waited all day long to hear her speak. But the mayor, she never showed up.
1: Instead, uh, her attorney Steve Silverman walked out very briskly, um, like he was in a great hurry. He was carrying a manila envelope in his hand. He uh, announced to all of us he would take no questions. He called it a sad day for the city of Baltimore. And he read a very brief prepared statement from the mayor. Um, We counted it up. It was a 96-second press conference to end you know, a 69 year old person's career where she had uh, climbed from the city council to the state delegation to the state senate to finally realizing her dream job as mayor. And um, then he walked off without answering a single question.
0: And that's how Catherine Pugh, Baltimore's 50th mayor, resigned from office.
1: Yeah, I've, I've, I've never seen anything like it.
0: Lucas spent the last couple of months reporting on Mayor Pugh. Specifically, the questionable ways she made money, on the campaign trail, and while she was in office.
1: I think at the end of it, we had at least 110 stories we published on this, about this scandal, you know, in a
0: little over a month. Can I ask you something? This story of what happened with Catherine Pugh, the mayor of Baltimore, is this just a Baltimore story? Um, Well, I mean, in one way, it is. In one way, it is a Baltimore story
1: because it is about our mayor and it's about our political situation here. But I do think there are larger lessons. We have a system that is, for better or worse, a pay-to-play system. The only way you could elevate yourself to high office is to raise lots of money from private donors. And you have to have almost... It was superhuman ethical standards to not um, to not get into this sort of quid pro quo
0: game. Today, Luke is gonna tell me the whole story about what took place in Baltimore. It's a story about how political work gets done and what it takes for the rest of us to pay attention. Because what happened here, it could happen anywhere. I'm Mary Harris, you're listening to what next? Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's start a little bit from the beginning, because I feel like people may not be familiar with who Catherine Pugh is and how she came to be mayor of Baltimore,
1: Mayor Pugh was somebody who worked her way up through the system. Um, she has She's originally from Philadelphia. She came to Baltimore to go to Morgan State and started her career in marketing. And so she's always been very concerned about image. She got on the city council. She got into the state delegation, eventually became a state senator and eventually ran and won the mayor's office.
0: It sounds like she was like a bread-and-butter retail politician
1: um she was good at that you know during the mayor's race frankly the best retail politician was sheila dixon the former mayor from from two mayors ago who had been indicted and forced from office amid a corruption scandal but the citizens lots of the citizens still loved her and pew really was the choice of of white baltimore during the last election that said, I do think Mayor Pugh had a big moment during the unrest in Baltimore after the death of Freddie Gray in, in police custody. Um, In 2015, there was a big standoff between protesters and police, and this lasted for the better part of a week. And Mayor Pugh, uh, then-State Senator Pugh, was out there arm-in-arm arm with Congressman Elijah Cummings with a bullhorn, and she got a ton of coverage and, I think, credit for trying to be this peace broker in this time of great tension in the city's history in 2015.
0: I guess the way you're describing it, I can understand why Mayor Pugh seemed like the right choice. You know, she seemed untouched by corruption. It seemed like she was in the streets during the unrest in Baltimore. It makes sense. But I wonder what the voters maybe didn't see that the people that she'd worked with in local government had seen.
1: So... And I don't know if this is unique to her, but it did become clear once uh, she became mayor that she wasn't really taking criticism very well. And, uh, you know, in the words of, of some of her top aides, that she really wanted yes men around her and yes women. You
0: know, what's interesting to me is that the trouble for Mayor Pugh seemed to start with this legislation that was filed by a woman who used to be one of her supporters, this woman, Jill Carter, And this legislation was going to make it illegal for board members at the University of Maryland hospital system to benefit from contracts at the hospitals they govern. Sounds kind of wonky. But then you reported on it. And what happened?
1: Yes, that's right. So state Senator Carter, who was a supporter and she had a directorship under under Mayor Pugh, called me on a, on a Sunday and said, you know, Luke, I, um, I have some legislation I filed. I'm trying to research some material that can support it, but I, I'm really running into some roadblocks. Can you dig into this for me? So I, um, the next day, emailed the medical system. I asked for a litany of information about board members who had contracts, how much the contracts were worth, whether there was a competitive bidding process for the contracts, and they told me they weren't going to provide me any information. So, you know, as a reporter, like, that's, that's like, please dig more. I mean, that's, so that's, so that's what I did. After about two or three days of digging, I was able to get my hands on the documents that I sought and, um, I was flipping through them and I'm seeing some names I expect. And then I flipped the next page and there's the name Catherine Pugh. And I said, oh my God, the mirror's in here. And then I looked down a little further and it says, they paid me to produce my Healthy Holly children's books and it's signed by the mayor. And it says my profit was $100,000. That's when I called Senator Carter. And I said, did you know the mayor was in here? And she said, she was completely surprised too. She had a hearing on her bill the next day. And so we published the story that night and um, you know, then all hell broke loose.
0: While this deal between Mayor Pugh and the University of Maryland medical system wasn't technically illegal, it was ethically dubious. And this looming scandal, it all centered around these picture books. What what are the Healthy Holly children's books?
1: So they're these little sort of flimsy, hastily made books, um, self-published books. She created a children's character named Healthy Holly. And the point of the books is to teach kids to eat their vegetables and to uh, exercise. And, you know, I think one of the names of one of the books is exercising is fun.
0: Why would it make any sense for the mayor of Baltimore to be publishing a children's book in the first place?
1: In some ways, this does make sense if you know her. So she um, is extremely health conscious. She runs uh, marathons or used to at least she was one of the people who helped start the Baltimore Marathon. I mean, if you've ever had lunch with her, she eats like three little pieces of sushi and four grapes, and that's it. And she does believe that the children of Baltimore could be more healthy. Uh, the other thing is, I, I do think she thinks she's a good children's author. Like she thinks that I think she really saw herself as sort of like a serial entrepreneur who was going to launch all these different businesses and had all these ideas.
0: You've have you read the books? I have. Are they good?
1: <laughs> well, so I've always I've tried to stay out of this, you know, I don't know. To me, they're 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 kids books. Yeah, there are misspellings. Yeah, there's grammar problems. And um, they probably should have been better edited. They were they were clearly sloppily edited. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say that.
0: I, ca- I kind of agree. There's a broader problem with children's literature as a mother. Two. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's only
1: so many good night moons, right? So.
0: Exactly. After that first story, you just kept reporting on Healthy Holly and Mayor Pugh and more and more kept coming out. Like, it wasn't just the University of Maryland medical system that was financially involved with her in this way. It was Kaiser Permanente she was selling these books to. Tell me how this all worked.
1: I mean, I think one of the things that really hurt her is her story kept changing. And I remember the first time I asked her about this story she was actually at the state house that day. She was standing outside and I went up to her and I asked her about the Healthy Holly books and she just seemed a little bit worried. And normally she gets very mad at me when I challenge her on things. And this time she seemed like kind of worried. And that I'll, I'll always remember that. And then she said, well, I only, I only made 20,000 profit and then it was, and then I only had two or three orders. And then it kept, it kept growing and growing. And then I didn't sell to anybody else but Maryland. And then there was just, by about the fifth, sixth, or seventh time, the story changed. People were saying, "Well, what's, what's true and what's false here?" And um, so there was never a moment where she came out and said, "This is all ethical," and laid it all on the table in a way that was convincing to people. But the concern is certainly the appearance that people who wanted large contracts from the city, people who wanted legislation championed, people who wanted to keep their business uh, oftentimes worth millions and millions of dollars with the city, were approached by the mayor and said, hey, don't you want to buy a ton of my children's books?
0: That's not proven, right? It's just that we know that she was definitely selling these books and selling them to people who you wouldn't necessarily expect. Like one businessman, you reported, he cut the mayor a check for $100,000 and got one book. Right.
1: It's important to stress that there's been no criminal charges against anybody. But uh, we do know from the acting CEO of the University of Maryland medical system that the mayor did approach them about buying the books. That's according to him. We know from J.P. Grant, the businessman you mentioned, that he had written her a $100,000 check. He doesn't know whether the books were ever printed or delivered to any kids. And he said the mayor sent him one copy of one of the books to show what they look like.
0: So your story breaks that the mayor is doing this self-dealing. And she very quickly goes on leave, right? She says she's not going to resign, but she's sick. And she sort of starts holing up in her house. Tell me what happened here.
1: Yes. So as the scandal's unfolding, she is under intense emotional stress. And she had been sick with pneumonia already and had had to go to the hospital. And there's just intense public pressure on her. And eventually she says, you know what, I have to take a leave of absence. Um, I can't carry out my duties as mayor in the current state I'm in. And at that time, the city council president became the acting mayor.
0: Things sort of spiraled. The FBI raided her home. It seems like she lost the support of most of the politicians in Baltimore and Maryland generally. I was surprised when I read your reporting at just how many people, people who had known her for years, were openly speaking out, telling her she had to resign. Oh, yeah,
1: it was... um I've never seen such uniformity. I mean, I think, um, you know, right away, the entire city council called for her to resign. Uh, pretty soon thereafter, um, the business community, the greater uh, Baltimore committee, which is a bunch of influential businessmen who had been some of her biggest supporters, called and her to resign. The governor, the state controller. I mean, it was I don't know who was not calling for her to resign at this point.
0: Well, Some pundits have said we're in this sort of post-shame environment where people can kind of do what they want when they're in political power as long as they kind of blunder through it. And I wonder if that was the mayor's fatal flaw. She had shame about what she did and she didn't just say, yeah, I did this and you know what, here's how it worked out for the people of Baltimore, move along.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, look, you know, and it's not just Donald Trump. I mean, how many people have we seen who say, I don't care? I mean, you know, the I mean, the the three top officials in Virginia, I think that uh, we had a delegate here in Maryland who uh, reportedly said the N word and and everyone called on her to resign and she's refused to do so. And if you refuse to resign, like right now, Mayor Pugh could have still be refusing to resign, could still be in her house, could still be getting paid could be saving up time towards her pension, and there will be nothing anyone could do to remove her. The only way you can remove a mayor is through criminal a criminal conviction. You know, she, she chose to do this. I mean, she didn't have to do it. it. It is up to the individual, and many politicians have decided, I don't care what the public thinks. I don't care about uh, cries for, for resignation or misconduct. I, you know, in the end, she was someone who cared what people thought.
0: Can we talk about Baltimore itself, because I feel like the city you live in or the city you report on, it's been through so much in the last five, 10 years. How is the city processing this mayor's resignation as sort of part of the larger narrative of what's happening there?
1: Yeah, Baltimore has gone through some hard times for sure. There's a lot of mixed reaction to this. I mean, we just said, we we did see just a poll came out today that said most Baltimoreans wanted her to resign. White Baltimore wanted her to resign a lot more than black Baltimore, but a majority of both races did. You know, Baltimore is still a very segregated city. That said, I do think, you know, there were glimmers of hope between 2010 and 2015. We saw the murder rate fall. We saw unemployment go down. We saw cranes in the sky. We saw buildings being built. We saw population increase. We saw people were moving back to the city. So we did have like half a decade of positive momentum. And then, you know, then the unrest happened. The police department uh, came under a federal consent decree for widespread abuses. And um, we've had the murder rate go above uh, 300 killings a year for four years in a row now. And, uh, and now we have our second of uh, three mayors in a row forced from office amid an investigation into corruption. Yeah, I mean, these aren't great times for the city, obviously. Uh, we do have a mayor's race coming up. Maybe we'll get new leadership in that people can believe in. But I also think it can't just be it can't just be all about the city. I think to improve the city, there's got to be an effort at uh, the regional, state and federal levels.
0: Luke, thank you so much for taking us inside your reporting. It was fascinating.
1: Oh, well, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun.
0: Luke Broadwater is a reporter for the Baltimore Sun. All right, that is the show. You've been listening to What Next? It's hosted by me, Mary Harris, produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. Okay, you've made it to the end of this show, which means you probably like what we're doing, so I'm going to ask you a favor. Head over to Apple Podcasts, Leave us a rating and a review. We'd love to see you doing that, but more importantly, it helps other people find us. And that's even better. All right, I'm going to talk to you tomorrow.
1: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring:
0: a laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
1: Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. <laughs>